Psalm 32, please. And we'd like to begin reading with verse number 1. The Bible said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and I forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as I bow before you this evening, Lord, I thank you for another opportunity this side of eternity to preach the Word of God. Lord, I thank you for saving my soul and giving me uh, the call of God upon my life, Lord, that I could represent you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach what needs to be said tonight. I pray, God, that you'd speak to every heart. I pray that you'd encourage your people. And if there be one with sin in their life, I pray that be dealt with this evening. Dear God, we just yield ourselves to you and ask your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to bring you a message on uh, what God has done with our sins. Now, you know, why does a person go to hell? A person goes to hell because they're sinners and they don't get forgiveness for their sins. Now, some believe that, uh, uh, that you go to hell because you reject Christ. And, uh, you know, until I heard Dr. James Crumpton preach along this line, I, I kind of followed that, uh, that line of thinking. But uh, he said, what about people that have never heard about Christ? What about someone that, uh, that has never heard the gospel? What will happen to them if they die? They haven't heard about Christ, so have they rejected Christ? And, uh, of course, the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 1 that, uh, that man is without excuse, that all who die in their sins go to hell, whether they have heard the gospel, that is, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as we know it. We know God has revealed himself in creation, and God has revealed himself in man's conscience, according to Romans 2. And therefore, man is without excuse, and I believe if man responds to the light that God gives them, then God gives them more light. And so uh, uh, those who have not heard the message of Jesus Christ as far as a preached message, if they die a sinner, they go to hell. Man goes to hell because he's a sinner and he don't get his sins forgiven. And the only way to get his sins forgiven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, what has the Lord done with our sin? The Bible said here, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And uh, uh, the word blessed means to be happy. And I hope after the message that you'll, uh, you'll have some happiness uh, knowing uh, this matter of what God has done with our sins. First of all, the Bible teaches that he has laid them on Jesus. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice that verse begins with all and ends with all. And he said we've all gone astray like sheep. As I understand it, a sheep is the worst animal that God has created to wander. Uh, you know, uh, you can take a dog away from home and the dog may get lost and a lot of times the dog will find its way back depending upon how lost it is. And the cat is even, uh, uh, even more likely to get home. You know, uh, uh, someone said they took the cat... Uh, so far away, you know, to get rid of it. And when they got home, the cat was sitting there waiting on them. Well, uh, but the most amazing thing is these homing pigeons, they call it. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard tell of. I mean, they're, they're raised in, in, in an area. They're, they're hatched there and, and raised there. And people that have these pigeons, they will take them to other states and turn them loose and drive back home, and they'll come right on back home. That's, that's a, an amazing thing. But a sheep is entirely different. Those that have studied it and those that have had sheep, uh, a sheep gets lost. It has no sense of direction. It does not know the way home. Uh, it'll wander around until it dies. It cannot find its way home. And uh, it's a very dumb animal. And the Lord said that's the way we are. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on Christ. He's, a, he's talking about the Lord Jesus in this chapter. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In 1 Peter 2, 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So all of our sins have been laid upon Christ. That's why I'm not going to hell. The only thing that would put me in hell would be sin, and all of my sins have been laid on Christ. So how can I go to hell? All of my sins were bore by him born by him to the cross of Calvary. Therefore, I have eternal life. I have salvation. I'm not going to get it. I've got it. Because my salvation does not depend upon my faithfulness, but his faithfulness. It does not depend upon what I do. It depends upon what he has already done. My sins are on Christ, were laid upon Christ. And notice he said there, by whose stripes ye were healed. Not you're going to be healed. He says you've already been healed by the stripes of Christ. 
Our sins have been laid on Jesus. Second of all, our sins are taken away. Now here in the psalm, he said our sins are covered. Whose sin is covered. And they were covered in the Old Testament. And there was a remembrance made every year of those sins, those same sins. Book of Hebrews chapter 10 talks about it. And uh, uh, how that uh, there was a remembrance made every year. And the high priest would have to go yearly behind the veil with the blood of the animals to make an atonement. And the word atone means to cover, to make a covering for sin. And he says in verse 4 of Hebrews 10, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It never took any sin away. Uh, and all of man's efforts in the Old Testament never got rid of one sin because it was brought up, the remembrance of it, every year. Stay the book of Hebrews and you'll find it there. And it was, it was covered and God delayed judgment. According to the book of Acts, he delayed his judgment until those sins would be paid for. And Christ paid for them with his own precious blood. In Hebrews 10, verse 11 and 12, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He sat down because the work was complete. And he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Amen? That's what he did. One sacrifice forever, an eternal sacrifice. The same sacrifice of Christ took care of, of the sins of Adam, took care of my sin and your sin. And it took care of all my past sin, all my present sin, all my future sin. It took care of all of it. And my sins are taken away. According to the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now this was a new message. Uh, you know, when John the Baptist, he attributed this to Jesus Christ. That was something they, they knew nothing of because they were familiar of the continual sacrifice. The morning and the evening sacrifice, the sacrifices on the day of atonement, all the other sacrifices that were made. And they knew that no sacrifice of an animal could take sin away. But here John says, this man, not an animal, but this Lamb of God will take your sins away. My sins, your sins have been laid on Christ and they have been taken away. Now this is illustrated in the day of atonement. If you study that in the book of Leviticus, the high priest would go behind the veil with the blood uh, of, uh, of a bullock, I believe it was there, and uh, for, for his own sins and the sins of his family. And then, and then he would have the two goats, and he would cast lots upon the goat, and the goat, one goat was killed, and the blood of that goat was taken behind the veil and sprinkled on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And then he would come back outside after he had done this and he would put his hands on the head of the live goat and he would confess his own sins and the sins of the nation on the head of that live goat and they'd take it out into the desert, out in the wilderness and turn it loose. Out there with no water 
and no food to die. And it was a picture of our sins being taken away. The, the goat uh, that was his blood was shed was a picture of our sins being paid for by the sacrifice of Christ. But the live goat was typifying the taking away of sin as it was taken out of the camp. That's what God did with our sins. They have been taken away. Then there's another uh, uh, use to show uh, an illustration to show what the Lord has done with our sin. And in Psalm 103 and verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now he's removed them as far as the east is from the west. Now how far is that? Anybody know? Any science students in here can tell me how far it is from the east to the west. Now, he didn't say from the north to the south. That's an amazing thing. You know, we have a north pole and a south pole. And you can go north to a point. You get to the north pole, and you make one more step, and you're heading south. And you go down the south pole, and you make step across that, uh, that point there, and you're heading north. So you can measure the distance. You can measure the distance from the North Pole. In fact, if you take an encyclopedia or science or whatever, a science book, and it'll probably tell you how many miles it is from the North Pole to the South Pole. But see if you can find how far it is from the East Pole to the West Pole in there. Because you can start in North Carolina and head west, and you'll get to California. Then you get you an airplane or a ship and cross the water and keep going. And you can go all the way around the earth, about 25,000 miles, you get back to North Carolina, and you'll still be heading east or west. You can go the rest of your life, and you'll never, uh, you know, find the end of it. And the Lord said that's what he's done with our sin. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. Then the Bible said he has blotted them out. I like this one. In Isaiah 44, verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. The word blot means to obliterate, to erase, efface, to wipe out. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was using the, the uh, illustration. What do they call those things? Huh? Etch-a-sketch. No wonder I couldn't remember it. Uh, and, uh, you know, where you write on this, this little etch-a-sketch and you can pull that film up and it disappears. But if you look closely, you can still see it a little bit down where you've written there till you write something else over it. So that may not be the best illustration, but it's the best I could think of at the time. And, uh, you know, when he says that he's blotted them out, <laughs> I mean, you can't find any trace of them. And God talks about justification, that he's justified us, and we are no longer guilty in the sight of a holy God. He's blotted out. You know, it's kind of like a storm comes through and, 
and uh, with dark clouds and it's rainy and you think, my, this storm is never going to leave. But after a while, a few days sometimes, the Lord just takes the wind and blows it out in the ocean and there's absolutely no trace of it left. And that's what God does with our sin. Isn't that wonderful? I don't care what a person's done, how far in sin they've gone, how wicked they may have been. I mean, God blots out those sins. He blots them out. And uh, there's no evidence. You know, uh, the, uh, they've tried all, you know, with, the, with typewriters, they, they have, uh, you know, correction ribbons, they tried that, and, and uh, it halfway works. And, and this liquid paper, I despise that stuff. Uh, it dries up, and, and uh, uh, it's not, it, you know, leaves a, a, a hump on your paper. And, and uh, man, in, in all of man's effort, you think a man that's been to the moon could, could come up with something. Uh, I guess the best thing that, that man's come up with is a computer. You know, that way you can correct your mistakes before you print out and you don't have to worry about it. So, as a... Uh, but anyway, uh, the, uh, none of that illustrates what God really does with our sin. He blots them out. And he said, I blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. God has removed them, and there's no evidence of them left behind. Then, not only that, but the Bible teaches that he has cast them behind his back. In Isaiah 38 and verse 17, For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. I'm glad God didn't say put them behind our back, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I, was, I was reading a, a little article about this. This boy was describing the human body, you know. And, and uh, he was talking about uh, the neck, you know, is something to uh, hold the head onto the body and so forth. And uh, he's talking about the back. And he says, he said, the back is what's behind you. And you can't ever get around. You can't see it. You know, every time you turn around, you have to keep turning and try to see your back. And you can't ever find it. And, uh, uh, but the Lord said he cast our sins behind his back. Now, where would that be? He fills heaven and earth. Uh, in, uh, in 1 Kings 8, 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven and heavens, heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. I mean, God's everywhere. God's omnipresent. That means God is everywhere present. Uh, you can't get away from the Lord. You can't run away from God. Where are you going to run to? The Psalmist 139 said, If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. There's nowhere to escape the Lord. Jonah found that out. He couldn't get away from the Lord, could he? God is everywhere. He fills the heavens. He fills the earth. And yet he lives in every believer. You know, it's amazing. I, my mind, I can't comprehend that. I mean, we could have service and the Lord can meet with us and someone halfway around the world and have a service and the Lord meet with them and be, be there and be real to every single one because he is omnipresent.
present. God is everywhere present. And therefore, if you cast their sins behind his back, uh, I don't know where you'd, uh, where you'd find them. The devil can't find them. And then not only that, but the Bible says he's buried them in the depths of the sea. Now this is a wonderful truth. In Micah 7, 19, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And they will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You say, well, uh, you know, if they're in the depths of the sea, all you have to do is find the lowest part of the ocean. You can find them. Well, the lowest point of the Atlantic Ocean is about 28,000 feet, they tell us. The lowest point in the Pacific Ocean is about 35,800 feet. That's a lot of water, isn't it? Now, the Lord said if you have enough faith, you could say to this mountain, Be thy removed into the sea, and it would obey you. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Mount Everest, the highest mountain on the, in the earth, is approximately four and a half miles high. That's the highest mountain. And the deepest part in the ocean is six and a half miles deep. So if you tuck the highest mountain and put it in the lowest part of the ocean, you still have two miles of water. That's a bunch of water, isn't it? Can you imagine that? No wonder the Bible said the fountains of the deep was broken up and the rain came down. No wonder God destroyed uh, the, uh, the earth with, uh, with water. I've, I've heard the figure, but I can't remember it now, that if, 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 the, if the earth was completely, you know, if you took all the, uh, all the water and uh, you, uh, uh, you know, raised the bottom of the ocean and, and uh, lowered the mountains, that you'd have, I don't know how much water, all the way around the earth. If there's that much water, it'd cover everything. You know, I'm, I'm amazed. You go to the ocean and the water is, the water is coming in and, and, you know, it looks flat to me. And yet the, the water comes so far and it stops. What makes it stop? You say, well, the land is higher. Is that right? Get your geography book and they'll say this is sea level. And, uh, you know, in, you're inland uh, several miles and they say it's sea level. <laughs> well, why isn't it covered with water? Well, if you read, I think it's the book of Job, if you read the Bible, that God put a boundary that God said, you know, that God set a boundary for the waves to come. And they can't come any farther because there's a God in heaven that controls it. So, he has used this as an illustration to show that our sins are gone. He has cast them into the depths of the sea. He didn't say he just cast them in the sea. He cast them into the depths of the sea. He said, I put them in the lowest part of the sea. And if you put a mountain in there, he says, you still have two miles of water. And God's just letting us understand that our sins are removed forever. And then he has paid for them with his own precious blood. The word redemption means to deliver by paying a price, and that price was the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
And in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, Receive, uh, from vain tradition, received by vain tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And 1 John 1, 7 said, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And we talked about this this morning, that uh, that payment must be made for sin. That in order for a person to have their sins forgiven, somebody has to pay for it. Uh... You owe a debt at the bank. You owe for a car or a house or something. Go down tomorrow and, you know, ask them if it's all paid for. Uh, you know, you can go get, uh, it's kind of like you buy a car, and, uh, you know, you have, uh, you have some papers. But you know who's got the title? <laughs> if you finance it. You say, I own the car. In reality, they own it. <laughs> they own the car. They've got the title, and they'll let you drive it, <laughs> provided you make those payments on time every month. You say, it's my car. Stop the payments and see whose it is. <laughs> see if you really own it. They're the ones that really own it, don't they? But you know, once you get it paid for, or let's say someone... Let's say someone wants to really loves you. You've got some real friends, you know. And unknowing to you, they go down tomorrow and they pay off your loan. And uh, you wait, you know, for the next payment notice to come due and, and, or the book, you know, that catalog you get or whatever you have. But, uh, uh, you know, it never comes. And so you, you wonder what's going on. And you go down and check on it. And they say, well, you know, somebody stopped by here and just paid it off. <laughs> well, that's what Christ did. That's what Jesus did. He paid it off for us. I mean, we had a debt of sin. So great we could not pay. We had, a, we had the burden of sin on the Lord. The Lord. The Lord pays it off. And we can't go to heaven because of that debt. But Jesus paid it for us. Well, what's the result of that? The result is that he remembers their sin no more. In Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, God is omniscient. God has all knowledge. God knows everything. You mean God can't remember our sin? Well, the only reason God can't remember it is because God has chosen not to remember it. God has all knowledge. He can do, he knows anything, but he has chosen to not remember it. <laughs> Man, that's going to be great. There's some things I don't want God to remember about me. But he says he will remember our sins no more. What a blessed and glorious truth. And of course, I think the emphasis there is it related there to the Old Testament where there's a remembrance made every year. See, God didn't forget about it because the sin wasn't paid for. The sin was still there. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, blotted out and all these things, all these things here that the Word of God talks about. It was remembered every year. But here He promises, I won't remember your sin anymore. And then Ezekiel 33:16, none of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned 
unto him. God said, I'm not going to remember it, and I'm not going to mention them. You know, that'd be good if we lived like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sometimes people bear grudges. And someone done me wrong 20 years ago. Yeah, I remember it. I tell you, I'll, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> you know, that's just saying the words and not doing anything from the heart is all that is. Yeah, I won't forget it. What a person is saying, yeah, I'll forgive you, but if you, I'm going to watch you. If you do me wrong one more time, I'm going to remember what you've done another time. Aren't you glad God didn't like that? <laughs> you got to, the Lord, you know, you know, I can go to the Lord and I can say, forgive me. And I can come back tomorrow again. <laughs> and I remember it. But you know how God treats me? He treats me like he don't remember. Now that's wonderful. He don't hold that against me. He doesn't remember it, and he doesn't mention it. He don't bring it up again. That's the Lord. And if we're going to forgive, that's the way we need to forgive. Now, you really think of that. Think about how many problems that could solve. Think about what that could do for home situations. You know, the Bible said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That means you go to sleep with everything right. Everything confessed, everything right between you and the Lord, everything right between you and your wife or husband. And you start off a new day. You start off every day new and fresh. You see what that could do for the relationship of a man and his wife? And I'm not speaking of a justification for wrongdoing. Wrong is wrong anytime. And well to seek not to sin. But if we do sin, if we do fail, we're to be quick to forgive. And what that could do for churches and relationship between Christians and relationship uh, between churches and, and in governments. and uh, You know, God's, God has a wonderful plan, doesn't he, in this Bible? These blessed truths and uh, words of advice that God gives us in his word are, are perfect. And they're all for our benefit. But the problem is we're such a bunch of sinners. Implementing these truths is the difficult part. Do you know one day, you know in the millennium, the truths of God's word will be implemented fully and completely by the ones that are redeemed and, of course, even more so in the eternal age. Our sins have been removed forever, remembered no more and mentioned no more, lest by our heads please.